Welcome to Understandable Solutions, the podcast where we discuss business and current events, those important issues that impact our world. Our goal is that you walk away with at least one nugget of useful and thought-provoking information to make your day. Here's your host, Jeff Newkirk. All right, today on the Understandable Solutions podcast, I have a special guest coming back, Jeff Shalansky. Jeff, it's great to see you again. Thank you so much for agreeing to come back on the podcast. You kidding me, sir? I'm so glad to be back. Thanks a lot. So the last time we talked, uh, lots have happened. Lots has happened. So let's first, let's get an update on you. Some congratulations are in order, right? Well, I think so. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Uh, it's September 8th. I celebrated five years uh, of continuous sobriety, weekends awesome. and everything. I mean, that's pretty pretty impressive. I'm proud very of me. Impressive. Very impressive. Very grateful to uh, everybody that's helped me along the way and especially God. Lots lots to be uh, grateful for. Thank so you, congratulations. sir. Congratulations. And Fob Razor now, give everybody an update on Fob Razor. How's that going? Fob Razor's doing, doing pretty well, sir. We are... Uh, we're still meeting every Saturday. We're, we're, we're sitting kneecap to kneecap. We're, we're veterans helping other veterans. And uh, we're, we feel like we're on the cusp of, of, of growing into what, we, what our dreams are. We feel like we're, we're moving in the right direction. So Your work is so important. And I, I got to believe it's rewarding. You feel good about what you're doing. And nothing but awesomeness in the in your future. And for Fob Razor. Well, I, yeah, I hope so. And as far as feeling good, you know, when, when the neat part about being in recovery, the neat part about about working on recovery every day is that when you're shown this new way of living, when you're shown this new new chance at life, you you become so grateful. And if you don't, it's almost this feeling that if you don't try to show somebody else, just like somebody showed you how to do it, you feel you feel guilty for it. So for me, it's the only thing I could possibly do to repay the folks that have helped me along the way. And so, yeah, it doesn't feel your, good. Your Hell yeah, is so contagious. It's just like, you know, last time when we talked, I said, every time we're together, I mean, you have this big smile on your face and you're just, you know, always so positive. But you said, you know, there was a time that you weren't that way. I can't imagine that. I can't imagine. Well, yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, I'm like, I tell people all the time that I'm really, really grateful for those dark times in my life. Um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not embarrassed of them. I don't, I don't try to shut the door on it. I don't try to act like it never happened because, because of that, those events, because of what, what happened, I have a new lease on life. And I'm looking, I look at the world every single day with a new, a new, a new site alignment, new site picture. I, I see the whole world differently. You have uh, a tremendous amount of humility and, and that's what it takes to get through life. Not no, no matter what your history is, no matter what your background I do. I mean, that's a core value of mine. You, you have to remain humble. You have to be able to understand that the world is more than you. And what's happened to you is important. You have to learn from it, but it's what you do with your past into your future that makes the difference. And you, my friend, are making a difference. Well, thanks a lot. I appreciate that. As far as humility goes, uh, I was taught early in recovery 
that, and you hear there's, there, there's bumper stickers and slogans and memes that say, if you want to be a bank robber, hang out with bank robbers. If you want to be a millionaire, hang out with other millionaires. I was taught early in recovery that one of the issues that I, I, I recognized in myself and other people politely mentioned to me was my pride and ego was off the chain, Jeff. It was ridiculous. <laughs> so when I, when I started, it wasn't just overly confident. Oh no, it was beyond <laughs> overly confident <laughs> beyond. But, uh, so I was a couple years in and I sought mentorship from somebody who I saw as living this absolutely humble life. And his name is Mark. And uh, Mark became my mentor. And for over a year, we met every week, did the kneecap to kneecap, uh, you know, recovery thing together. And it was because of his humility and his just his confident humility. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's something I want. And so he put himself out there. Yeah, he's uh, he's an amazing man. And he's changed my life a lot, too. Awesome. Awesome. So today, I, I, one thing I want to get accomplished, you know, and in my podcast, the objective is at least one takeaway. I want people to walk away from this podcast each episode with at least one takeaway. Today, I absolutely firmly believe that civilians do not know nor understand what you all went through going over to Iraq and Afghanistan and I want you to bring some reality to us and give us an idea of what did you experience? What were some of the things that, that you remember? And, and for us, we always have to be grateful for everything that you've done. All of our military. I don't believe we're grateful enough. And I don't know what it will take to, to get to that point where you know, we're grateful enough, but we, we need to continue to work on it. But part of it is understanding everything that you've gone through. And I don't think we, as civilians, I don't think we get it. I don't think we get it. So I want you to shed some light. Give us an idea. What did you do for our country? Okay. Because it was a lot. And thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. My, uh, you know, and, and where I'd like to focus on, for the sake of this conversation and for the sake of relevancy is what's going on in this world right now. And what's recently happened, quite frankly, I feel it's a tragedy, but, uh, no, we're going to have to buckle up now. Yeah. Strap in <laughs> five-star seatbelt. You know, I, my last tour of duty overseas before I retired from, from, from the world's greatest organization in the entire world, the United States Marine, Marine Corps. Corps. Uh, I was, uh, I was a, a, a trainer and I worked with and, uh, and did with the Afghan army and the Afghan police. That was, we had small teams. That's where my brother, Joe Razor went with me. You know, we left Iraq together, went to Afghanistan together. I had people like I spoke about in our last episode, Johnny Rhodes. And love that story. Yeah. John Rhodes is a man. Uh, you know, I had, I had a, a great team of folks and, uh, our job was to train Afghan police officers and Afghan soldiers. So the idea was that when the U.S. pulled out, if we were to ever pull out, of course, we know the situation now, but that the Afghans would be able to uh, take care of themselves, basically. You know, military-wise, police, law, law enforcement, we were training them to basically have their own government 
and operate like they were their own government. Correct. I think that was a uh, big blue arrows idea of what needed to happen. I think big blue arrow, you know, generals and, and top officials looking at a map with putting big blue arrows on where they wanted everything to go. Yeah. I think that was their mission. Uh, and, and it sounds, it sounds really good, right? It does. I think uh, for me and my men, our mission was to create a little bit of pride in ownership. Our mission was to make these Afghan young men capable of getting their own, providing for their own, you know, give them themselves, give a man a fish, teach them the fish type mentality. Yes. Perfect. Perfect. So, and and that's exactly why I want to talk about this because there, there is this, you know, big picture U S is going to go in and save Afghanistan, but what you experienced on a day-to-day basis was, I mean, you got to chunk it out, right? You got to take it in little bits and pieces. So what you did, again, so important. Tell us, like when you first, the first time you went to Afghanistan, what was, what were you thinking? What was it like? Well, when we got, (laughs) when we got to Afghanistan, we kind of, we were, I, let me explain it this way. Me and my men were, we were in Iraq and most of the battalions going home. It's time to go home. Well, myself, because I'm just the jarhead I am and, and my guys, cause they're the jarheads that they are. We heard that they needed people for Afghanistan. So you started in Iraq and heard that they needed men in Af- Afghanistan and you signed up. Well, yeah, as we didn't just sign up, <laughs> Razor and I, we had our idea of the men we wanted to go with us because we trained them. Mm-hmm. So we literally were in the operations officers at, in his office with the operations chief. And we were literally telling them every day for two weeks prior to that, them actually deciding who's going to go. We were, we're going, we're going. We, this is our job. We want this job. So we were politicking. And so when. That's amazing. So you, often you hear, like, the, you know, uh, men and women don't want to go, right? I mean, they're, they're, like, really hesitant. That was not you at all. You know what, Jeff? You, you, you may hear that men and women don't want to go. I wasn't the only guy politicking. Yeah. There was a lot of people in that battalion that were politicking. So much pride. Well. Yeah, that's for our country. It's U.S. Marines are a different type of individual. They're just different. And we, we, we're very proud of what we're good at and to get the opportunity to serve this nation and to do, take care of things so that future generations, they teach us all the time in the Marine Corps every day they'll end a meeting with leave the dirt better than better, leave the dirt better than when you found it. So every chance we get an opportunity, I wish we lived like that every day in this country. You know what? I do too. I, I really do. But so going back to it, yeah, the, everybody else is getting packing up and they're going to leave Iraq. So they came out. My master sergeant, Andre Smallwood, said, hey, killer, you got what you want. You and Razor and the rest of y'all going to Afghanistan on Christmas Eve. And we were like, heck, yeah, let's do it. So everybody else is packing up to go home early Christmas Eve. We're jumping on airplanes and flying from Iraq to Afghanistan. So when we got there. 
I ain't going to lie to you. It was kind of like, yes, we felt like we already won because we got the opportunity to do it. Awesome. Awesome. So, so you got there, you are already pretty positive. You were pumped. You, you knew that what you're going to do is super important. When did it, or did it ever kind of hit you that, man, this is a really tough situation? Oh, <laughs> it, there was, when we got there, there was some guys that, that tried to, they, they tried to stand up a little bit like a 30 man course training Afghan police officers. And they, they, they seemed like they were pretty happy with the success of it. But those Afghan police officers were long gone. And it was just these, these instructors now. And so we, we sat kneecap to kneecap with them, you know, hey, left seat, right seat, what worked, what didn't work. And the look on their face as they're getting, they're just ready to go home. And the look was like, you guys, you don't even have any idea what's, what you're in for. It's absolutely, it's, it's you know, it's pandemonium. <laughs> and uh, they were talking about the issues they had with potential, you know, uprisings amongst this 30, 30 man class and all this other stuff. And we would just kind of were like, all right, well, let's see. But right then, just by looking at the look on their face and hearing the somber tone of them explaining what their experience was like, yeah. we kind of all looked at each other like, you know, well, this is the challenge we wanted. So let's get it. Tall order. Well, t tall wasn't, see, we already had an idea of how many people we were going to be training. So they had a class of one class of 30. We knew we were going to end up with at some times up to 1,200. What? And we knew. You were, you were to train 1,200? Well, collectively. I had my small team. Right, right. And then there was other small teams that went with us as well. And they were going to, they were going to kind of herd. And they were going to teach individual actions and, you know, that basic rifleman stuff. And my team was going to be, we're, we're going to teach you how to, we're going to teach you how to shoot. We're going to teach you how to, we're going to we're going to teach you how to shoot your weapons. We're going to teach you how to, 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 to employ your weapons against the enemy. Yeah. Defend yourselves, defend your country. Defend, attack, whatever needs to be done. Yeah. Okay. So we already knew we were in for a tall order. When, when we saw that these guys had, you know, a Did small... Did know how to even use a weapon? Oh, God, no. No, God, no, 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 sir. Now, the ones that did, that's the ones you got to be aware of. When you get a class of, of, of 1,200 people, well, I should back up, not a total class of 1,200. We started out with classes about three or 400. And um, still, you know, you, you know that there's going to be one or two or more out of that 300, they probably don't have pure intentions, right? Or am I off base? About three or four, maybe 5%. Okay. Uh, that don't. These men, we found out, uh, we found out actually prior to, uh, Razor's really nosy. So Razor and me, we have, we have, we have people that we know along the way throughout the course. So asking questions and getting answers from people that work in S2 or, or, you know, G2, which is the intelligence section of the Marine Corps. Okay. We, we got people there. So yeah. asking questions isn't hard, hard for us, you know? Mm -hmm. So reaching out to our boys and stuff. And we found out that the recruiting effort is kind of weird for this, right? They send folks into these villages and towns and they say, hey, you guys are going to need some police. You're going to need army. We'll train you. 
And that's it? Well, the village elders assign the folks that are coming to you. You think they're giving up their best farmers? Wait a minute. So the village elders decided who was going to participate in the training? Who was going to be a professional police officer or a professional soldier? Shoot. So it's not like they signed up on their own. Oh, gosh, no. This, no, this isn't no all-volunteer force. <laughs> this isn't the United States. They were forced. They, they were. Or many of them. Yeah, yeah. Now, so, so you get all these folks. Now, these are just individuals. That, that in itself says a lot because I don't think anybody, I didn't know that. I, didn't, I mean, probably most of us in this country did not know that they were forced, the Afghans were forced to go through this training. Well. Or many of them anyway. Yeah, many of them. And, you know, like I said, you think the village elders are going to give you their their best? No. 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 They, they need their farm. They need to eat. Right. That's the gator closest to the boat for them, right? Right. right. So getting... When you get these groups, and keep in mind, now I'm speaking small level. I'm speaking one village. Now, in order to get a, a group of 350 men to go to, that we're going to take and prepare and lead, these are from multiple villages all over the country. So is there a chance that they're not getting along with each other? Oh, it's uh, just like here in America. Just like here in America. You bring them all in, you put them in the chow hall, and you watch as... Different groups, just like segregate. Yep. Self-segregate, you know, because in Afghanistan, a lot of people, they, everybody thinks that they just speak Arabic. Well, there's different dialects from Johnny Rhodes. Yeah. Who learned how to speak. And I don't remember what it was. He's learned to speak Pashtun and and Dari and all this other amazing stuff. They speak different dialects. Mm -hmm. So it's, and you know what the funniest, the weirdest part about Afghanistan was as far as the general, there was folks whole villages that would come in and they don't look anything like other Afghans at all. They, it, it, and their appearance dates back from the Mongolian era. Wow. Yeah. There's a man. That's one thing is as Americans, we got such a small baby, little tiny history compared to all these other nations in the world. We do, you know? Yes. And we don't really appreciate that. No. And you know what? I don't think, I think we forget too. We forget yeah. that we are, we're just, we're kind of, we're still, uh, you know, a lot of our great leaders refer to this as an experiment still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're still young. Yes. Yeah, growing pains. Yes, sir. Absolutely. So walk us through, a, if there is such a thing, a typical day. Oh man. I don't know if there is a typical day. Uh, well, to start out with the way we would do it, and we did it maybe a little different than a lot, but we had a lot of success. We, we and I say that we collectively, I mean, as a team, we had a lot of success. We didn't even be, we gave every Afghan their weapons immediately, immediately. The day you got there, here's your weapon. And we gave every single Af- Afghan student at this point, they're a recruit. They're not, they're not full blown ready, you know, Johnny gun charger yet. And every one of them got a weapon and every single one of those provided an AK 47. Absolutely. Provided by the United States, provided by the U S government. And we provided them all with a uniform and 
on that uniform was a number that was the same number that's on their weapon. Um, accountability. Right. Right? Accountability. And then they get a weapon the day they get there, but we're Even our they, team. They may not, didn't know how to use it. No, no, absolutely not. But they got to get familiar with it. Just like a recruit. Um, Here you go. Don't touch any buttons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the best part is, we're not letting you even look at ammo for the next oh my gosh. two weeks. You're not even going to get to see that yet. Okay, so just like we do in boot camp, that's the way the Marines are. Uh, they get their, their, M, their M4, their M16 almost immediately in recruit training. But they don't know what in the world they're doing with it yet. So that's the, that's the process we brought. We also noticed uh, through after-action reports and through watching other, uh, you know, getting the gouge from other folks, nobody had ever taught Afghans, to our knowledge— had a had a BZO or we and we as uh, Americans in the in the hunters refer to it as zero in the rifles. Okay. Nobody taught them how to do it. And you got to explain what does that mean? You know, everybody looks at um, everybody sees a little different. So when I get a, a rifle straight out of the box, and I especially a long gun, an, mm -hmm. an M sixteen, an AK forty seven, mm -hmm. you know. An assault type, or a, I don't even want to say that. <laughs> a, uh, you know, a rifle. Everybody sees a little differently. So you have to manipulate the sights in order to make that weapon shoot where you see. Uh, see, okay. I, if, if yeah. I get a rifle that's your, if we get a brand new rifle out of the box and we shoot it today, I may shoot two or three inches to the right of center mass. Because your sight is a little bit different than mine. And if I give it to you, you may hit all all in the black. You may hit a little to the left. Right. We're all different. We all see Pro different. Probably far to the left. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. But yes, I understand. What you're so yeah. it, it, it dawned on us that nobody in Afghanistan was teaching these, our counterparts, our Afghan counterparts, how to zero these weapons. Wow. So that was the first order. That was the first order was let's teach these guys how to zero their weapons. At the very least, we didn't realize that was going to be difficult to teach them how to do. Um, we didn't understand the education level. We were taught the education level of the Afghan, mm -hmm. but we didn't understand it. We didn't see it yet. See, that's another thing that I don't think people understand, that they really, I mean, we're talking difficulty in just getting through the basics, right? They just didn't understand anything about what it what it takes to be a soldier not just a weapon but just listening following direction uh and follow through i mean none of that right well i mean the simplest way to put it to make the average under the average american understand the challenges with teaching through an interpreter to another country another another countryman from another country and get him to understand what you want him to understand as complex as combat right i'll i'll leave it this should make it really simple for all of us it was our experience that five percent of the afghans we worked with knew how to read yeah that that's um that it, it's not a knock it's not a knock on them um, no, it's just reality. That's reality. You know what I mean? I only know what I've been taught. Right. Right. And we're, we're so grateful in this country. We got teachers who teach us. We got our parents from the very beginning 
that's one of the you know core things you have to learn how to do. Right. It's not a priority based on what they need to survive in that country. Right. And so the only very well-to-do, very affluent folk know how to read. Amazing. So that would be that was an initially a challenge because you know we're we're 21st century warriors. If we want to teach you how to do something, let's put up a PowerPoint, death <laughs> by PowerPoint. We'll show you everything. Doesn't work. Doesn't yeah, work. I can't imagine that it would. So <laughs> teaching somebody how to take apart an AK-47 or how to shoot an AK-47 or even get a little bit crazier, let's talk mortars or machine guns. Let's talk about some of the big boy stuff. It turned. It went from death by PowerPoint to death by practical application and death by picture pages. So that was the, the, the easiest way to get, get our, our counterparts to figure out what we needed them to do. And the interpreters had an incredibly difficult job. And one of the things we learned, especially this past August and September was that we really relied on those folks and they became part of us. Right. And I mean, we're going to talk about this in the next episode, but how we treated those people, super important, right? Because oh. they were such critical uh, assets to us. I can't even begin to tell you. Or I, 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 I can't begin. It's one of those, you know, you hear that all the time. You just don't know unless you were there. And to all my brothers and sisters who hear this, are not in their heads right now. And they're saying, yep, yep. You don't even understand how valuable those, those interpreters are to our success, mm -hmm. to our survival. I will tell you right now, I, I am fantastic at reading body language. I had to be in order mm -hmm. to, to, to do what we did. It was, it was a, an important part of our life. It's not always enough. Yeah. You know, our enemy is cunning as well. And our enemy is it, their intent is to baffle us, right? Mm -hmm. So they know we're trying to read their emotions and we're trying to read their body language. They know that stuff just like we would if we were, if the shoe was on the other foot. Without our interpreters, there is no doubt in my mind, We the although as much as we hated seeing instructors getting killed in Afghanistan, the numbers would have been through the roof yeah. without these folks doing, not just doing their job, mm -hmm. but doing their job to the level of, that pride and ownership that I talked about yeah. all of our interpreters with the exception of one that I fired had this, we're here for you mentality, not the Americans are here for me and to save me. No, I'm your interpreter and I'm here for you to protect you. See, that is just amazing. So they, they put their life on the line for us, right? So they were really part of, of our mission and and again, we'll talk about this next episode, but it is troublesome to think that we like just left them, you know, just we're done. See ya. It, it's heartbreaking. It really is heartbreaking. And to think that it wasn't, it wasn't even like, Hey, let's talk to some of the American fighting men about what are some of the priorities we need to think about before, before we just, you know, pick up the doormat and throw it in the U-Haul and, and yeah. get out of Dodge. That, that's what it feels like, right? Oh, my goodness. Well, and again, that's a good, 
good uh, teaser for the next episode because yeah. that's what we're going to talk about because there's so many unclear, we, we don't know what happened, right? In this country, civilians, we don't know. We really don't know. And you, having been there, um, you can speak to the emotions. You can speak to what, you know, some of the specifics that we, that went, went on there. Um, and I don't know. I just, is it, that was a tough one. Yes, sir. I agree one for this country. Um, so getting back to the training though, how did you know when a group was ready? Like they were ready for graduation, if you will, and or maybe you know, they never were. <laughs> maybe they were just forced. Well, I'll tell you what makes them ready for graduation. So you know how to use this gun? Yes. Okay. You're good. <laughs> this is what makes them ready for graduation. When is the next assault? <laughs> That's what makes you ready, right? right. Uh, you know, everything's about, you know, people, places, and things and where they need to be at certain yeah. times. Uh, but, it's not like you were on an academic calendar, right? <laughs> no, no. I mean, there was, it, we, we tried to, you know, you hear the, 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 the stuff in 10 pounds of garbage in a five pound bag. And this is what we were doing. We really were uh, for me and my team. The result was qualification, um, be able to qualify and qualification. Isn't like it is a lot of active duty guys. They know that when they go out and shoot qualification, whether it's a combat marksmanship style course, or if it's just a known distance course where you're trying to get surgical with your shots, that there's a standard that you got to meet. And the standards really, really high for your for your American military men and women. Mm -hmm. Our standard wasn't as, as high for for these men and women um, that were going to be soldiers and police officers for the Afghan government. But there still had to be some sort of, you know, some basis of judgment, some way that we're going to decide whether they're good to go or not. And we were very proud of the fact that we didn't decide the standard. That was a standard that was that was decided by big blue arrows mm -hmm. on both the American side and the Afghan government side. And up until we had gotten there, nobody had met that mark yet. Mm. We were crushing the mark. So compared to everybody else that was doing similar jobs in the past, our men were very much ready to go in that one aspect. And that, okay. that was our really our single most uh manner of judgment really mm -hmm. but they were crushing that mark it didn't provide me personally a ton of confidence like you know these guys are born to fight trained to kill ready to die but never will type mentality yeah. you know yeah but you did your job you did the best that you could absolutely you, you exceeded expectations that were set forth what the goal is always to leave the dirt better than you found right and we were we certainly after our efforts I can. I walked away with confidence, and so did my men. That we were leaving that dirt better than we found it. Yeah. Well, again, thank you for all of your hard work there and your dedication to this country. My pleasure, sir. So, what were some of the, uh, like, the things that you experienced on a daily basis that we wouldn't even really think about here, like the, the luxuries that we have in this country, like going just using the bathroom in a you know comfortable bathroom. Oh yeah, not not uh, you didn't have that in Afghanistan. You know what? Once in a pest, while, pest control. Oh no, no flies! <laughs> God, oh flies! Every veteran that's hearing this right now is when I say flies, they all just shake their head and go, "No flies." They the have flies in Afghanistan. 
Oh God, they got the size of uh, no. Birds it's or? it's not the size. It's the you quantity. Know, yeah, the quantity. It's just <laughs> unbelievable. The you know just the the flies. That's all I have to say. And every veteran shakes their head, and then they're just like, oh my. It's just it's it's unexplainable. And you know what? Quite <laughs> frankly. I don't want to explain it. I'm a gentleman. I trying to be a better man than I was yesterday explaining that it's just disgusting, yeah. but yeah, flies. That's all I really got to okay. say about yeah, it. That, uh, enough said. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, when you're, when you're working with Afghan with any culture, you know, we in America are, are we're, thank God we're, we're a melting pot of culture. Right. Mm -hmm. But, and that's fantastic. We get a little taste of it in this country, but now all of a sudden, you're talking about a culture so far and completely removed from anything we are used to in this country that eating, absolutely, e just eating and how you eat it is, you know, could be perceived as for us savagery and for them, you know, for us looking at them, the same thing, you know, they see us going to work on a, with a knife and a fork and they're like, you guys are, you guys are animals. <laughs> No, man, this is the way we do it here. You know what I'm saying? Where with them, it's, it. you know, I look at them like, man, you're eating rice with your hands. If I don't, if I don't educate myself and understand that that's the way they do it and it's for their, uh, that it works for them and it's purposeful right. for them. Right. You know, it's if part I'm of their culture, that's right. And it's part, it works for them. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I said, the gator, the closest to the boat for them, isn't always going to be, let's make sure we got nice cutlery. Right. Right. Yeah. They have other issues. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. And so how about like, uh, sleeping arrangements? Comfortable? Uh, you know what? Some, a lot of times it was, we had, uh, you know, we, well, we, we had tents, right? Big tents that we would sleep in, set up and sleep in. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we had cots, you know, in a lot of places in my career, I didn't have cots. We'd slept just on the ground. Sleeping bag on the ground. Sleeping bag on the ground. It's easy, right? Not less to clean up. And we did that a lot often. That was done a lot throughout my career, all the time, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. But to be able to sleep on a cot, man, that's a game changer. And, you know, for our Afghans, for us to provide them with cots, man, I think they were thinking, this is, this is all right, right? Five-star hotel. Yeah, yeah. A cot. A cot. It, I I didn't just have see a how cot. much we take for granted here. Hey, those cots are pretty amazing. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they they they're absolutely amazing after you slept on the rocks for a long enough time. Oh my goodness! Now I ain't gonna lie to you. I even had a little bit of a uh, a little bit of uh, plywood. It was maybe like a foot by by a you know a one square foot or whatever. But I had that with me. And I was able to take actual pictures of my family, of my kids and my dog and stuff and put them on this plywood and take it with me. So everywhere I'd go and you every time it. I'd be able to set up and have a, my own little yeah. look at home thing. I never had the ability to be able to, you know, normally it's you take what you can carry. Right. So for this in this particular mission, that was pretty event. That was neat to have, you know. That's awesome. Yeah. So when you uh, got ready to leave for the last time. What were some of the emotions or some of the feelings that you had? Uh, leaving Afghanistan? For the last time. Well, I how wouldn't lie. How, how many tours did you do? Well, this was my, this was the first time I'd been in this capacity. Okay. So this was a, this one was different to be working directly with the Afghans and to have these Afghans 
you know, like I said, your interpreters are your brothers. They, they really are. And then I'm not going to lie to you. We became really close with some of these Afghan soldiers and police officers. Yeah. Not a lot. Not a lot of them. But it's really easy after you spend seven, eight months to figure out which ones are, are in it for the real, real deal. Holy field. Mm -hmm. This is why we're doing it. And mm -hmm. others that are just trying to get a paycheck. And, uh, we became really close with a lot of them. Um, the, the Terps, it was, uh, I ain't gonna lie. I was a little, a little worried for him yeah. because when we left, we didn't just leave like what happened recently. We left and another team came in mm -hmm. and took our place. <laughs> but, you know, we knew the level that we treated treated right. them, and we were concerned. Yeah, um, you, you, you weren't absolutely a hundred percent confident that the next team was going to give as much as you did. Well, how much could they? There, there's no way that coming in there, they could love them as much as we did. Right. You know what I'm saying? They are coming off the plane. They don't know any. They're at that point where we were originally. Don't trust nobody. Right. Right. They're, they're new to the. They're new to the country. They're like trying to figure things out. Don't trust nobody. Right. Right, and we we've we collectively had earned that trust, both sides. Mm -hmm. So yeah, how could they? And you know, the our Afghan counterparts. Uh, I'll never forget this because we had issues with our counterparts rioting against decisions that were being made sometimes by upper level Americans. And when you say rioting, what do you like? What do you mean by that? I mean like. We are so pissed off and we don't know how to handle ourselves that we're going to we're going to demonstrate by throwing rocks and and rifles at you. And you got we're going to try to quit. We're all going to try to leave collectively and just run amok and we're done. We quit. Whoa. Um, and we had dealt with that prior to once or twice. And we had, you know, calmed it down. Um, it was a it was a matter of getting in there, you know, realizing, hey. They're angry. They're throwing a temper tantrum. Let's, let's talk them down. Well, then when we're ready to leave and they're, some of their, you know, senior enlisted leadership says, we will, we will riot in your honor. No, no, you're not going to riot in our <laughs> honor, brother, man. We ain't doing that, man. These are our friends that, that are relieving us. They're relieving us so we can go home. Yeah. Well, we don't want you to leave, so we will riot in your honor. No, <laughs> no. Wow, so you did develop some very close relationships. Yeah, um, I I will be the first to admit that I did not get nearly as close with my with the Afghan soldiers and police officers as my men did. Um, but for a reason. Yeah, my job that was, was not your capacity. I, my job was to be the hammer. Right. Um, you know, their job was to be be in the weeds with them, teaching them. You know, their met their teachers. My job was to. Be the over. I was the overwatch. Yeah, you were making sure that they were teaching what they were supposed to teach. And my job was to make sure that my men were safe. Like I said, we talked at the beginning of this. My experience was three, four, five percent of these men are are actually bad guys. Yeah, uh, they're wolf in sheep's clothing. Yeah. So my they job be damage to you, right? So my job is when Razor or Rhodes or or or, or Kegel would say, "Hey, number forty six is acting really weird, and we're about to go shoot." this type of weapon. Can you do me a favor? And while you're overwatching everything, please keep an eye on number 46. Roger that. And that was my job. So yeah, you know, my job, I didn't make, I didn't make those type of uh, relationships nearly as much as my men did. 
but there was genuine love and respect mutually with our men, with my men and with these men. Wow. Well, again, thank you for everything that you did over there. If there was one, one thing that you want everybody to, all of the listeners to understand what you and everybody else in the military experienced in Afghanistan or Iraq, what would be that one thing? The one thing I would want all of my citizens in this country to know about my experience there is, you know, the people that I feel like we really let down, the people that I'm really, really concerned with still, besides the obvious, which is our interpreters, is the women and children there. I am... That, that, that's still, I, that's what keeps a lot of us up at night. And that's why when all this went down and we lost those Marines and and we saw all the hell that was breaking loose out there, that's what a a lot of veterans are talking about. talking about what happened in August. Yeah. When we saw that pullout go down, the first thought process is for me, it goes to my interpreters. They're still in country and oh my God, what's going to happen to the women and children? Um, I don't think, I don't care what your political views are. Women and children are off limits, are supposed to be. And we knew that that wasn't going to be the case. That's a tough takeaway. That's a tough takeaway, Jeff. But thank you for saying that. We all need to hear it. So as we wrap up this episode, I want everybody to, to know once more your nonprofit organization, FobRaiser. So tell us just quickly, FobRaiser, and how can they learn more about FobRaiser? And most importantly, how can they donate to FobRaiser? We at FobRaiser, we're lifers for life. We are committed to helping veterans and first responders. We're, we're committed to helping them with whatever their ailments are. We are, we are not... We are not just aware of the suicide issue. We're doing something about it at a kneecap to kneecap level. And if, if, if you were so inclined as to, to help us out in our journey to one day becoming open seven days a week for multiple meetings a day and just having people there when a veteran or first responder walks in the door and says, I'm at my, I'm at my bottom and I need help. It's real simple. It's www dot fob razor and razors with an s r a s o r forward operating base razor so f o b r a s o r dot org that's the easiest way you can help me out and if you go to the website and you scroll down you'll see this awesome picture of jeff shalansky (laughs) and a tuxedo james bond 007 awesome awesome jeff thanks so much for being here I'm so glad that you took the time and we're going to talk in the next episode about what happened in August and September in Afghanistan. Yay. Yay. So everybody check us back, check back with us in the next episode of understandable solutions podcast. And until then, thank you so much for listening. I hope today was a great day. I hope tomorrow's even better. Peace everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Understandable Solutions. We hope we met our goal and remember that was for you to walk away with at least one nugget of useful and thought-provoking information to make your day. And tell us what that is. We want to know. Be sure to review us favorably on your favorite podcast platform. 